Hi there, this is Kevin. I am the podcast editor of the Skylight Books author reading series. Just a couple of quick notes about this particular podcast before it starts. Uh, the first is, is that there's um, some feedback within the first three minutes of the podcast. Um, and it does go away, so don't be fearful that it will last for the entire uh, duration. Um, secondly, um, portions of the uh, reading um, were done in German. Um, there was a German film being shown, and so um, certain portions of the beginning of the reading will have German. So um, you have that to enjoy. Okay, thanks for listening. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Tonight, uh, we're lucky to have... Uh this author here tonight, thanks to the Goethe Institute, and also thanks to uh, Villa Aurora, uh, where she's been in residency uh, for the last few months. Um, it's the second time we've done an event with the Goethe Institute, which we did a Bukowski thing last year that was really fun. And I remember at that time, uh, we were, I was meeting with people from the Goethe Institute, and they were telling telling me about this author and about the kind of controversy and such that was being brought up. And we were excited because, like you know. We're thinking, great, you know, more edgy stuff, more Bukowski, more things like that. We were talking about, like, Gagatter at the time, so it was a really wonderful idea. And so look at here, a year later, we're ready to go with an event with the actual author here. So Helena Hegeman has written this book, Exotal, Exolotal Roadkill. And she's also made this wonderful movie, which we're going to see some tonight. Um, the drama Ariel 15 premiered in Berlin and was later turned into a radio play. Her screenplay, Torpedo, was made into a movie in 2008, and she directed it yourself. And um, one, okay, can you say the name of the prize for me? The name of the prize? Max Office Prize. Um, this novel that we're celebrating and she's, that we would love to have here in English for you tonight is not available in, for the American audience, but we do have German copies if you back it there if you'd like to purchase a German copy. In the, of the book, yeah, the book. Um, so um, most recently though, she has been in residence here in California at the Villa Aurora, and please welcome Helena Hegemann. Um, thank you for being here. It's totally unexpected because I would never go to a reading of a German author and I hate readings and I don't really know why I'm doing this. <laughs> and um, yeah, first of all you see I think two scenes of my movie and um, 
Uh, it's always interesting. I don't know what to tell you about it. I'm. Huh? Somebody say something? Oh, okay, okay. And um, I wrote the screenplay when I was 14, which is the most interesting information about it. And um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't really know why I did it, and I don't really remember how I did it, but I did it, and then I sent it. I didn't show it to any one of my friends or so, and I just sent it to, I found out some email addresses of, of producers in the internet, and I just sent it to them, and um, and I um, said I was 22, <laughs> and I'm really proud of that, and then after a while, one producer, I think she was really sensation-seeking, is this the right word? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, she just said, okay, let's do it, and then we did it into a movie, actually, and um, um, yeah. Uh, you see some of it now. The subtitles are really shitty, but um, yeah. And afterwards, I have to read. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but um, have fun with this. Okay. Was machst du eigentlich beruflich, bitte? Wieso weißt du das gar nicht? Teil Essen aus in der Schulkantine. Brötchen schmieren und so. So ein bisschen wie bei so einer bescheuerten Abendspeisung. Aber eigentlich bin ich Informatikerin. Bitte? Ja. Deswegen habe ich so ein ansprechendes Verhältnis zur Abstraktion und stimmiger Logik. Aber ich glaube... Das ist so viel jünger als ich. Ja, nicht viel So, dann bitte ich Sie, dass Sie jetzt darüber gehen, dass Sie sich dort hinstellen. Das Ganze nicht aufgereiht, sondern ein bisschen geschachtelt, wie man als Gruppe steht. Gruppe ist immer da, wo die Mehrheit ist, okay? So, das mit dem Vorhang machen wir später, ja? Dann können wir, glaube ich. Cleo, bist du soweit? Geht's? Bitte. Oh, das ist so grauenhaft. Ich halte das nicht mehr aus. Ich kann nicht mehr. Ich will nicht mehr. Das schmeckt mich doch endlich aus hier. Das schmeckt mich doch endlich weg hier. Verfluchte, widerliche Leben. Ich bin so dünn und kraftlos. Ja, ich bin hässlich, so unglaublich, einsam und hässlich. Ich weiß nicht, wozu ich lebe. Ich, ich weiß es einfach nicht mehr. Ich habe alles vergessen, alles. Ich weiß nicht mehr, was Leben heißt, wie man das macht, denkt oder, oder, oder schreibt. Ich, 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 und diese Zeit, die geht an mir vorbei und hinterlässt keine Spuren und dieses hässliche, nutzlose, widerliche Ding oder was das hier ist, das nimmt seine Zeit ab und hofft, aber das ist falsch. Ich werde mich 
mich umbringen. Sehr bald schon werde ich das hier alles brennen. Jeden Tag, jeden Tag entferne ich mich weiter und weiter und weiter und weiter von dem Leben und meinen Träumen. Wir werden hier nicht wegkommen. Keiner von uns. Wir bleiben hier. jetzt ironisieren oder was? Nee, ironisieren nicht. Es geht hier um Brüche, aber darüber reden wir später nochmal, ja? Okay, aber wie komme ich jetzt darüber? Also ich meine, wird da noch ge geredet oder klatschen die noch? Und wie, wie komme ich da, also gehe ich in die Stelle hinein? Also nee, davor? Ich in die Stelle hinein. Du, das habe ich alles vorhin erklärt. Da hast du dich bloß nicht konzentriert. Wieso? Ist doch völlig egal, ob ich mich konzentriert habe oder nicht. Ich will da einfach nur wissen, wie ich da rüberkomme. Gehe ich in die das Stelle egal, hinein oder was? Klar. Das ist sehr egal. Das ist mir ist aber auch sehr egal. Ich habe gesagt, die Leute sollen warten, bis du mit deinem tollen Monolog fertig bist und dann sollen sie klatschen. Ja, und dann soll ich da einfach so rübergehen. Ich kann das nicht einfach so auf Ansage sagen. Mann, das muss man mal ausprobieren. Ja, dann müssen wir nochmal zurückgehen. Ja, völlig richtig. Dann musst du aber auch ausmachen mit mir, wann du es ausprobieren willst. Verstehst du? Wie gehe ich da rüber? Wird da noch geredet oder gehe ich in die Stille? Da rein, pass mal auf. Du musst erstmal hier weg sein, ja? Dann muss der Vorhang erstmal irgendwie richtig sein. Dann muss Stille sein. Und dann komme ich. Und dann komme ich. Und dann ja? komm ich. Also wir sind jetzt alle hier ziemlich hysterisch. Wir sind alle sehr hysterisch. Das wir sind alle fertig. Das weiß ich ja, selber. Ja, 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 klar. Gut, wir müssen jetzt alle sehen, wie wir hier heute noch durchkommen. Und Extrawurste, die gibt's gar nicht. Oh Mann, ey Arsch, ey, fick dich doch. Ja, das war den ganzen Tag. Los geht's, weg hier von der Bühne, wir wollen das ausprobieren. Geh einen Kaffee trinken. Ja, okay, ich nehme Kaffee mit einem Schuss Whisky. So, jetzt machen wir das Ganze nochmal. Hallo, mein Name ist Elise und ich suche hier bei Dategate einen neuen Freund, weil ich zurzeit nur meine Muschi zum Streicheln habe. Mein letzter Freund hat mich vor... <lacht> denn jetzt gesagt? Ja, also ich, ich muss sagen, also wenn Sie keinen Ehrgeiz haben, jemanden finden zu wollen, brauchen wir es nicht zu machen hier, ne? Bitte? Ach, toi, toi, toi. Hallo, guten Tag. Ich wollte Ihnen fragen. Ich stark beginnen. Ich habe an Inzest gedacht. Und ist gut, okay, ist okay. Hallo, Hallo Kinder. Kinder, seid ihr alle da? Ich sag, die ist total nett. Dann sagst du, weißt du es, was du sagen musst? Das nächste ist was, was? Was machst du eigentlich dort? Okay? Hast du zum Kopf? Okay. Los. Wie geht's Cleo eigentlich? Ach, weiß nicht. Gut, meine Cousine wohnt jetzt bei uns. Die Persönlichkeitsgestörte?
Was machst du hier? Wie, wie, wie bist du überhaupt reingekommen? Bist du verrückt? Wie alt bist du überhaupt? Du komische Kleine. 42,5. Süße? Nein, jetzt geht die Scheiße schon los. Scheiße los. Guck mal, die sind für dich. Danke. Mann, ich kann meinen Text noch gar nicht. Ich glaub schon. Toi, 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 Süße. Alles Gute. Ach, du, ja nicht. Oh, bringt das jetzt Unglück? Aber das ist nicht schlimm, denn ihr müsst einfach, ihr müsst einfach mit ihnen dieses Lied singen und dann geht es ihnen sofort wieder besser. Los, komm, mach mal mit. Du nimmst dich schwer, ich nimm's leid. Frag mich nicht, wie's mach, ich weiß selber nicht. Ich hab dreimal in die Hände und dann freu ich mich. Ich nimm's leicht, ich nimm's leicht. Du nimmst dich schwer, ich nimm's leicht. Frag mich nicht, wie's mach, ich weiß selber nicht. Hast du Kinder? Nein. Wieso nicht? Kann man doch viel mitmachen. to get the book, the so-called book. <laughs> And this is going to be really embarrassing because um, 
I read the book, the English translation, not the first time today, but I um, didn't know before that I would ever have to read it out loud to somebody in English. And um, I don't know, like, 80% of the words I've never heard before. So um, it's really more like an English lesson for me, and it's not going to be a great reading. But um, I don't know, feel free to interrupt me when it's getting too awful. It's really not so cool. Okay. It's like, I mean, okay. Then I'll start. <laughs> I'm standing in front of a large freezer at Lidl. Lidl is a German uh, supermarket. And I'm like, excuse me, could you maybe help me with the beef here? I don't know what kind of beef to buy. The heterosexual female communication designer in blue and gray striped cardigan says, pardon? And I'm, and I'm saying, I'm supposed to buy beef for dinner, but they've got stewing beef and steer fry beef, and I don't know what kind I need to get. Well, sorry, but I don't actually know whether your mother needs stewing beef or steer fry beef, I'm afraid. I say, my mother's dead. She's been dead for ages. And your father? He's one of those, and now it's getting really difficult, assertive left-wing bastards with above average income permanently doing stuff with art made to last, living between the galleries and boutiques on Auguststraße. Every day up to 11 prostitutes, everyday hair wax, and using highlighter pens to color in melancholy expressionist artworks he puts together out of black and white record covers. And then at night, he and his gallery owner nail them to the wall on LSD. His life's all about depressing movie, uh, music. The Melvins, Julie Driscoll, Neil Young. As if no one else made music apart from Neil Young and Bob Dylan. He orders records for $300 a week. I hardly know him. So where do you live? With my brother and sister. And what do your brother and sister do for a living? My sister my sister's called Annika and she's, scheme, she's a scheming marketing bitch. My brother Edmund designs motives for printing on a selection of textile items sold by a social commerce firm based in Leipzig. He uploads his design onto an online platform and waits until someone has the ridiculous idea of walking around in a cream hoodie with the sentence, our national colors are crap, printed on it in black, red and yellow. And he seriously even designs t-shirts with the slogan, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm drunk, alcoholics go to meetings. He's 23, a mixture of Marlon Brando and who else, I don't know. He owns one of only 500 existing pairs of Pro Bowl 2007 Air Force One Nikes. Unemployed, demonstratively arrogant Ray Davis fan. And what about you? Like any underage drug addict with an ability for reflection, my tendency to escape from reality expresses itself in a pronounced reading addiction. I devour, 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 I've never heard it. Devour, devour okay. Everything, what does devour mean? Just eat? eat? Ah, verschlingen, okay, okay, I see. I see, I see. I devour everything from enlightened literature about Pakistani psychoanalysts analysts, to thesis on the links between Moby Dick and Nazism. I shrug off daylight with a dismissive gesture. Well, it was lovely talking to you. Yeah, great. See you around. Just to let you know something about the main character. I don't know. I grew up wild and I want to stay wild. It's 3 a.m. and my partied out body is sitting in a taxi, submerged to death in its role as a victim. The driver's telling me about his son who's left his wife after 10 years and about his own wife who's cheating on him and about God with whom he claims to have a pretty good connection. That's why he's willing to forgive homos because it's because it's like not their fault they are that way. I'm running a fever, coordination problems, a BAC of 1.0.1. Can you say that? BAC? Okay. 
percent and have gone and agreed to go to a place of absolute opportunistic inhibition all over again. It's all my it's all about my respect worthiness, about steel and concrete, about a huge glazed facade that can be closed up using mobile shutters, about my fear of death. It's about the explosion of perception and perhaps also a little bit about an organized form of oral events. Yeah. My whiteness is a characteristic idiosyncrasy. I can either do what I want and satisfy my characteristics or just not. Doing what I want is dangerous because it really makes me vulnerable. Not doing it is not an option. That's why I lie to you. I say it's primarily a matter of principle right now. I'm 16 years old and presently capable of nothing else but wanting to establish myself, despite colossal exhaustion, in contexts that have nothing to do with the society in which I go to school and suffer from depression. I'm in Berlin. It's all about my delusions. I can't believe I'm exposing myself to all this crap all over again on cognac-colored four-inch heels. An industrial wasteland, of course. From far off, you can see a former power plant in which the plan is to expose myself to the whole obligation to forget myself in half an hour at the latest. I negotiate a path fenced in with neon tubes, generally regarded as the most awesome path in the world, which has never interest, uh, interested me for some unfathomable reason. Unfathomable? Unfathomable. Unfathomable. I find my dissociative identity disorder more interesting than anything the city constantly spews in my face. Facing a 10-foot security chief by the name of Sid, I pretend to be on the guest list of a barkeeper who spends his daylight hours attempting to represent the confusing prospects of our urban world by means of contemporary charcoal sketches. I thereby circumnavigate a mile-long queue of overstyled 23-year-olds from stable family backgrounds in whose eyes I'm not a human being, but merely underdressed and fickle. Oral incontinence. They are chucking shit at my face. I'm a motherfucking immoral cunt and I need to get a handle on my life, man. The big question of the night, hey, what's going down here? The big answer of the night is, hey, nothing's going down. The big outcome of the night, wicked, no cue, taxis waiting back there, World Health Organization definitions everywhere you look, Jesus. From my position in front of the DJ console, on the left behind a big glass wall is a long bar and various seating options. On the right behind the dance floor is one of the unmissable dark rooms. As far as the eye can see, these pseudo-ravished individuals in their mid-twenties are trying to dance their souls out of their carcasses. I'm sitting on leather upholstery, unimpressed by some absurd music style, being asked being asked uh, the most important question of the night after only 10 minutes of unspectacular exuberance crap. 60 foot ceilings, 2,500 people and HIV positive Ophelia, my new friend, who I've arranged to meet in the entrance area. She looks gorgeous and anorexic in equal parts, wearing a half-open bumper jacket with nothing underneath, matched with black leggings and satin L'Enfant sandals with mirrored heels and I talk unfiltered crap the minute I see her. So then at some point she asks, asks with a gesture towards the ladies room, see that guy over there? It's a guy whose presence has prevented me from running past him nonchalantly to the cigarette machine. Just for a change, she doesn't awaken any set sexual yearnings. Only a couple of emotional affection attacks because he's so cute, because his top's so cropped and he looks so totally washed in contrast to all the chopped out chauvinist tippies round here. I'm only talking uninspired crap anyway. So Ophelia says he's got ecstasy. And I look towards him, ignoring the fact that she's waiting for a witty response, and I ask him, could you possibly sort us out with two units? And he says, um, and I say, since when have we been good friends? And he says again, um, and I say, take a, take a quick look at the heels on my friend's weave look shoes. Pretty reflective, huh? So you're interested in fashion as well, are you? Do I look like I am? I mean, the coat alone, it's really, and the belt with it. Do they go together? No. 
So you mixed and matched. Yeah, well, no. I like it when men do it, when they wear suits and that, like cast off English ministers. That's kind of sexy. The guy looks at my torn polyester skirt and expects two fivers from me. I take money out of my shoe, coming across as a mixture of mentally disturbed and nervously excited. He gives me the pills more inconspicuously than absolutely necessary, looking me up and down like the world's thinnest skinned person. I ask, are you up for oral sex? And he answers, how old are you, 63? And with that he releases me into the whole never-ending age of sadness. Ophelia, my new friend, is extremely attractive, a phlegmatic action heroine. Whenever I go looking for her, I always find her in front of a full-length mirror with a razor blade, sitting there a complete wreck. As soon as she hasn't consumed any drugs for more than six hours, she lands up in the midst of a hysterical attack that wants to kill her and tries to rid herself of her facial muscles in front of a mirror. We met because she occasionally tempts in school canteens out of some half-hearted need to get close to reality despite being in the top tax bracket. Whatever top tax bracket mean, I don't know it. I'd like the cream polenta. <laughs> I'd like the cream polenta with spinach, and can I have pasta out of the other pan instead of potatoes, please? And she said, What other pan? And I said, The second or third from the left over there. Just pointing would have done the trick fine. And can I also have pudding? You've had your pudding already. I have definitely not had my pudding. I've only just come in here because I had social science on the third floor. Never mind your motherfucking social science. You still just took a pudding, baby. No, I didn't. I can't just run around here chucking 40 portions of custard into teenage phases that nobody's paid for. What am I supposed to call you now? Impotent wanker? What on earth are you talking about? Shut your fucking mouth, you dirty intellectual kid. Get up, you cunt, and bow down. Pardon? Get up, you cunt, and bow down. Ophelia threw a large ladle full of buckwheat bake at me. I chucked my classmate Sarah's custard at her. She emptied a, a portion of spinach intended for 213 to 16-year-olds over my head, and the whole excess mended along in this way, the two of us maintaining strict eye contact all along. We conjured up a channel between us, through which we managed to stare at each other as if we were head over heels in love. She informed me that she was the perfect mirror for my true yearnings, and I just swallowed it, dialed her phone number, listened to her saying I urgently had to throw away a number of items of clothing sh she didn't like, and answered that she was a dead woman. If there's one thing you can count on in this world, it's being mentally and physically violated. It may all sound pretty implausible, but that's just the way it was back then. So I'm climbing some steel staircase side by side with Ophelia. Meanwhile, she's discreetly getting off on the fact of her patented existence as a photographer with her own vision and ideas to offer and all that black and white crap. She always says she doesn't see colors anymore now that she's so sick. She's just gone colorblind. I read this interview with David LaChapelle once and sussed out that the colorblindness story is lifted from him. When you ask her where she gets inspiration, things usually get abstract. The African step, cold snakes of the air, and Jill Sanders suits reflected in the parquet with cheeseburger telephones with a stuffed toy jackal emerging from them covered in pig's blood or whatever. So she's an artist, right? And she hates the people who stop her on the street and bother her. What's worse than Wells? is these hypocritical quasi-artists who claim to be absolute scum and make fun of all the heirlooms I possess. Silk napkins, necklaces, not even silver cutlery, just two silver spoons. 
Not one critic knows what it means to sling your own deservingness in people's yellowed face day after day for money because you need a bit of money for a change, to change plain and simple. Their problem, the problems, these critics' problems, she always says, isn't even their arrogance. Being arrogant is a aristocratic and all that. The worst thing is their stupidity, or not even their stupidity is the worst thing. The worst thing is their laziness. You make a statement and it's neutralized and watered down by like, I don't know, pathologizing it or psychologizing it or marking it down as an unintentional out of pure laziness. But the whole anarchy thing isn't a mistake, it's meant exactly that way. Do you know what I mean? On principle, we only ever walk side by side when we are not obliged to talk to each other. We share cocktails and it's a fantastic moment, I don't even know why. I feel suddenly showered with the love I mentioned a few hours ago in my text to her. Two hysterical shadows wave at us from a concrete couch and I categorize their presence as a threat. Ophelia introduces an over 50-year-old hardcore restaurateur with above-average income to me as her most down-to-earth friend. I repeat, concrete couch. He says hello with a banana stand on his black shirt and brightly colored sports shoes and, 20, and a 20-year-old girl in one hand called Samantha, who's either mentally retarded or out for a fur coat. Fur coat. Fur coat. Um, uh, I'm going to be finished soon. Don't worry. <laughs> Inevitably, I get left out and end up following the two and a half super established, uh, super established freaking icons obligingly into the private smokers room, overly sensitive and unbalanced. Samantha dumps her genuine pale blue calfskin MS back on me. Adjust her Magella cardigan and changes her acne jeans for a flannel miniskirt from Marc Jacobs. And Ophelia whispers in my ear, how can anyone be such an uninspired dresser, Mifty? Then we all start exchanging pleasantries about the falafel wrap that Ophelia puked up on the kitchen floor a couple of hours ago and pop our pills perfectly casually but in parallel. Albrecht offers us two lines of ketamine which is used by vets as an anesthetic and has a anesthetic anesthetic and has a hallucinogenic effect in small doses. He says, "You know what? You know what you can tell your friends at school, Mifty?" That ketamine entails the complete dissolution of your own existence, four years in a coma and the worst brain spiraling. And apart from that, it entails dancing like a maniac, non-stop, no matter who or where you are. Samantha, his girlfriend, says, I just can't fucking believe how incredibly dumb you all are. This is a complete drama. We are talking about an anesthetic drug, and as you might imagine, it can anesthetize you. And when you're anesthetized, you stop breathing. And when you stop breathing, you run out of oxygen at some point, and that's not good. Thank you, thank you. Okay. I think I think now you have to ask me some question. I know it's hard, but <laughs> What's the movie about? The movie is about um ah It's about a 15-year-old girl who comes to Berlin after her mother's death and um, um, uh, she moves in with her aunt who's a hysterical actress, as you could see in the in the scene. And um, yeah, tries to get along with adults actually, with um, adults who don't really want to, who's whose concept of life is actually not being responsible for anything and not, then they have to deal with a girl they're responsible for. You know what I mean? I hope it's, yeah. 
and yeah, that's all what it's about, actually. <laughs> you can also ask me how I like LA or stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> hi. <laughs> I like it very much. Yes. Um. Oh my god. Um. That sounds so boring, but I really like the food, actually. Oh. Really, really. <laughs> what are you eating? What I am eating? Uh, sushi, mostly. <laughs> there are a lot of great sushi places here. We heard you were at Berlin Curry right before you came in. No, I haven't been there. Uh, my friend Marie has been there, but she's a vegetarian, so she was so happy to eat a currywurst finally in her life which is vegetarian, because there are vegetarian curry wurst, you know. So, I don't know. So, I did have a question for you. Yeah. You are staying in Villa Laura. Yes. Um, do you feel like you're in exile this, this, this time of your life, or this season of your life, given what's happened before, and, and how are you, how, how is it to be so far away in such a different context? Did you, do you, have you found any connection with where where you came from and where you are now? Um, at first, before I came here, I thought I would feel exiled because you mentioned it. It's, there was like a big scandal uh, about my book before and it was like five weeks totally uh, press excess and every day I, I w looked at the newspaper and there was like two pages against me and not only against the book or about the uh, strategy of writing the book or stuff like that but really against me as a person which was really really hard in some way because I didn't expect it I was really a teenager and I was just thinking oh I'm gonna be a star now and then then this happens I don't know and um, then it was great to get out of Germany because I've never actually been out of Germany for such a long time and I, I kind of uh, consider the stay here also as a exchange here, you know, which I never could do at school because I never went to school. And um, <laughs> and then I came here and the first week was horrible and I cried a lot and I was, and I don't have a car, that's uh, maybe <laughs> you're interested in that. And um, I just went uh, from the villa down to a gas station, like 30 minutes to buy cigarettes. And um, the people out of the cars, they started screaming at me because they didn't want some somebody to go there on the highway, you know? And I just didn't know. Yeah, but um, ah. <laughs> but then it, then it got better. And then I just realized, I mean, this is a, the um, greatest experience that the people are all the same in all countries of the world. I don't know, you know what I mean, right? I had the, such a huge respect for, of, for America before I came here. And I didn't really believe that it really exists. I don't know why, but um, because I knew it from movies or so. And you don't really believe that the things you see on the screen really exist. And um, yeah, but now I know it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. Yeah. Could, could you talk about the scandal? The what? The scandal? Yeah. It was like a plagiarism scandal, and I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm getting aggressive as soon as I have to talk about it. So, but um, <laughs> um, because I took like 13 modified sentences from a blogger called Iron from an internet blog, and um, let um, uh, a, a, a certain person in my book say these sentences, and um, I don't have one here right now. But um, and it wasn't even. 
I never, I never uh, took it as a quote in the book. Sorry, my English is so bad. I have to. It's really hard. But um, um, I always, there were always like informations about. They were always marked as not my own sentences. You know what I mean. But I never used his name or so, which was kind of a mistake, because this was like a situation where all the journalists could um, go into and say oh my god she copied her whole book and it's not from her and she's just a dumb teenager who wanted to have the fame of um, some heroin addicted uh, party guy you know what I mean and, um, I don't know and then no one ever really wrote about how many sentences it, uh, there were you know what I mean they always said it's like the whole book uh, um, like a lot of like a lot of um, passages or so and then it turned into a yeah into a scandal and uh, um, really irrational actually and really um, a lot of speculations and so and I think it was more like a Fuertong discussion about about the issue that um, that is really important but had, didn't have nothing to do not so much to do with my work or with my book And um, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of your work and its continuity with, with uh, other stuff happening in LA, I mean, if there's one thing that Exile filmmakers brought here, yeah, it was noir film and it was horror film. And I understand you're working on a screenplay. Yes. Do you think it's noir or do you think it's horror? I don't know what. Can you say it again? I don't know. Horror or noir? Horror or noir? Um, What you're working on now with the 15-year-old English girl who murdered the three kids? The 10-year-old English girl who murdered three kids, yeah. Horror is it horror and how's it going? No, it's like a um, social drama, can you say that? And horror in some... It's not, a, it's not, it's not going to be such a splatter movie. It's more about the background, of course it is, about the psychological background. And actually, it's about... Um, um, not even about her and about this poor child who has to murder three children because she was treated so bad by her mother, but more about the mother and um, about that this mother didn't have a chance to say, I cannot um, be responsible for this child and I have to give it away because that's actually the story. But she um, gave birth to this child and already in the hospital she realized she doesn't like it. You know, really a strong feeling, I don't like this child. And she tried to give it away to um, to her parents or to she wanted to um, let somebody adopt it and stuff. And they all said, the worst thing you can do as a mother is give your child away. And then after this doesn't, didn't work and she had to um, be responsible for this child and she couldn't, couldn't give it away, she started to try to kill her. And she started, she um, 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 threw her out of the window and stuff and she wanted to uh, give her pills so we, she would die, but nothing worked and afterwards she um, started to really make her suffer. She was a prostitute and she um, um, let her have sex with her, with a man um, when she was five and stuff like that. And um, so, yeah, actually it's, it's about the question, is it really the worst thing a mother can do um, to give her child away? And why is it always like a com the common sense that a mother really has to love her child? You know, this, it's more about that and not about um, this poor child. <laughs> oh, about the, uh, the bad mother also. But more about the bad society. Oh. Yeah. <laughs>
are these stories completely fictional or do you no no this one is uh, this one is a real story actually and um, it happened in 1969 in England somewhere I forgot the city um, and I also wonder why but it never uh, was made into a movie or into a book or so there's one interview book with this uh, girl and um, yeah that's all about it and she's 63 now and she lives with her family and um, she was in prison for 12 years and um, yeah she kind of leads a normal life today and doesn't know what she did at this age yeah, yeah. she kind of at first she didn't even remember it and then she made some I don't know psycho sessions and then um, and now she just doesn't understand what happened there like it was another person it's weird yeah. Yeah. When will this translation be published? Huh? This when it will be published? Yeah. Um, it's going to be published in one month, I guess, but only in England. So we don't have an American publisher yet, which I just um, realized two days ago because I always thought English and American publishers are the same, but they are not. And yeah, but then you can order it on Amazon if you want to. Well, <laughs> yeah. Have you adapted that book for the screen yet? Huh? Have you adapted that? Actually, I have, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. I just realized, but I told it to you, so <laughs> <laughs> you're the first <laughs> first who has this information. Yeah. <clears throat> it sounds like you were always creating from the very beginning. I mean, from 14 years old, obviously. Were you just drawn to writing and filmmaking, or was there ever a time where you were creating with other things like? music or painting or anything like that? Uh, no. Actually, I was, um, I mean, it's hard to believe now, but I was a professional dancer at the age of 12 or so, really, and I danced a lot, and I thought, okay, I'm going to be a musical star or stuff like that, and um, um, I started writing when I was 13. I always knew that I, I'm good at it in some way, because I had the best marks, or the second best marks in school, in, in the German lessons, but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> is there a difference for you when you write a screenplay or when you write a novel? Yeah, no, writing a novel is so boring, really. It's, it sounds simple, but it's so, I don't know, because you're not happy to do something that uh, somebody else could um, interpret, uh, interpretieren, the English word for interpretieren? Interpret. interpret, you know what I mean? It's like um, autistic, it's so, it's so uh, I don't know, I really don't understand why so many people write so many books in their life. I will never write one again, really. <laughs> horrible. Really, after six months, I was just like, oh my god, why did I, do, why did I start this? <laughs> but, yeah, I had to, because there was a lot of money involved, yeah. <laughs> no, I, of course I wanted to finish it, yes. When you uh, started writing your novel, you were paid before to do it? No, no, no. I started, I wrote like, I don't know, 60 pages. And then I found the email address of an um, agent, a literature agent, on the internet. And I sent it to her. And um, she invited me and she liked it. And then she, um, this is always good to have an agent because she know all these publishers. And um, she gives it to them and then they kind of überbieten sich gegenseitig, versteigern, versteigern. Was heißt das? Take what on it? 
They beat on it, yeah, different publisher companies beat on it. And um, yeah, that's what they did. And then. So this all started with one email? To yeah, to absolutely. Point. No, with one email with 60 pages of um, the beginning of the novel, yeah, sure, attached. And um, It's kind of like going into Vegas with like a million dollars and putting it on black. Yes? Yeah, maybe. Cool. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think it was more like a uh, coincidence that she even read it, you know? It's, um, um, I don't think she... It's really you have to be lucky um, uh, that somebody who gets it really reads it because most of it, they just even don't even open the attachments or the, or the script. So that was a big luck in it. But, um, yeah. Um, what made you write at such a young age? Um, I don't know. I think I, when I was 13, I, uh, there were a lot of uh, pupils at my school. They were older than me and they were doing web blogs. And I thought, oh my God, this is so cool. And I liked how I didn't even li like what they wrote, but how they wrote it because it was so cool. It was like... Um, like English Britpop lyrics or stuff and I was really into that at that time and then I started doing it myself and actually um, I had this blog for like two weeks and then my mother died totally unexpected and then I um, wrote uh, uh, because I have started writing uh, two weeks before I just wrote about my mother's dad and how I um, how I experienced it and stuff and then I never stopped actually, <laughs> really. It's a, this was an experience of writing to, um, uh, to get to know yourself better or how you want to call it. And um, yes, yeah. At first, uh, before that, it was just like style, you know, it was just this coolness thing, but then, yeah. Uh, also, because you're talking, you mentioned when you started writing, you were, I guess, looking at the whole idea of, you know, the fame and. At such a young age. No, I didn't have the idea of fame, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you digest that after it actually happened? Um, the fame, you mean? Yeah. Um, it wasn't even, it, it was fame for like a week, and after that it was really, I think I was the most hated teenager in Germany, really. So it wasn't really fame, it was um, the worst image I could have as a famous person in Germany. Which is also really cool, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a good story to tell. Yeah, but um, um, really exhausting at the same point. But this is maybe the reason why I have uh, such a huge distance now. Or I can consider fame as something different than it. Um, uh, I considered it before, and I never wanted. To, I never really wanted to be famous. You can. You all know that. It's not about just joking when I say it. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a really strange side, uh, the side of this fame, I would say. But is your father going to visit you uh, here while you're here in Los Angeles? No, actually, he uh, he's been here for six days with his uh, girlfriend. Yeah, and his girlfriend is like 27, and she just did like um, rentner, uh, the old people stuff. She was just lying in the hotel and on the pool, and she didn't want to do anything. She didn't even want to go uh, eat out. It was re it was weird. <laughs> But then we were at the, do you know Rammstein, this German hardcore metal band? Yeah, you know it. And then we, uh, we, we okay, you don't know it, so it's not such a funny story to tell. But Rammstein is like the heaviest band of Germany, and they always, everybody says they are Nazis because they have this Nazi language stuff, but um, 
they are not, of course. And they met the manager of Rammstein on the airplane, and they was just getting out of the airplane and telling me, um, yeah, we met the manager of Rammstein. They are playing in front of 13,000 people t uh, tomorrow, and we have backstage passes. And I'm like, okay, okay. They ran to this concert of this... German, they also have German lyrics and uh, I didn't know And there were 13,000 Americans who all know their lyrics. It was weird because in Germany they are not so uh, popular. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, just you asked me if my father would visit me so I had to tell a story. <laughs> Any last questions? Maybe we'll just uh, do some drinking and eating, and we're gonna set up a table, and we'll have her sign some books. And there's a few left at the counter, and I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. You have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.